Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. This is the Fred Minnick Show. I'm joined by my one, the only, my lovely wife, Jacqueline. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm excited. I'm excited about this. So, you don't sound excited. Well, I'm, I am excited because I'm with you. Okay. Was that the right answer? I don't know. <laughs> I don't have the answer key. So what we are doing is, and I've never done anything like this. Uh, I generally, you know me, I don't like lists. You know, I, I really don't. So this, I'm doing a best of the Fred Minnick show. And that's the, the interview series that I have, like in podcast form and in video. And I asked Jacqueline to join me because, well, I kind of feel like you're my number one fan. What, how do you define number one fan? Well, you put up with me. That's a lot, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would, I feel like, I mean, are you not my number one fan? Well, I'm... I'm not a subscribe member. Well, I mean, you don't have so, to be a member. Oh, I don't. You don't have to not, subscribe. I, mean, I don't. Well, I mean, I'm subscribed to your channel. We we talk all the time. We so do. I, I feel like that, like by by being married to me, you have to deal with my endless shit. <laughs> <laughs> is that wrong? No, it's truth. It's truth. All right. So what I wanted to do is I wanted I wanted to talk a little bit about you know, 2020, you know, the year was starting out very prosperous. I had events all over the place. Um, I was about to announce a major deal with a national hotel chain that was going to be a tasting series. I had um, events coming up where I was going to be doing stuff with Metallica. I was going to be doing stuff with musicians that you know won multiple Grammys. And it just was, it was an exciting year. I was really excited, you know. I had a magazine that was on fire. I had, I had so much, and a, and a calendar on the refrigerator with all these things blocked out for the yeah. travel and the events, yeah. and make you know the coordination of who was going to be responsible for what. Yeah, and then we started seeing news about um, you know people coming home on um, uh, what do you watch them call it cruise lines. And those cruise lines would get docked and stuck, and and this little thing um, called COVID or the coronavirus um, started infiltrating into the states. And I think we all kind of just kind of casually looked at it as like, yeah, you know, whatevs. You know, is, is this going to be another SARS? Is it going to be another swine flu? It's going to be another Ebola, not which you know, it's not going to be that bad. And then little by little, you know. Everything started shutting down, and you had the scare because you you had been to an event uh, mid February, and oh you got noted. Yeah. And I and I remember that. it because I was in, in in our incident command, and you texted me with with yeah. hey, someone I was at this conference with had COVID, and I'm sitting there thinking, I've just given COVID to all of my coworkers. Yeah, and, uh, you know I, there are people over sixty and the whole thing. I um, forgot all about that. That was that was like the the oh shit moment for yeah. me. That was um, that was a no shit moment. Mm -hmm. And as we were uh, having to make uh, you know personal choices during that time and. You know, I chose not to go to the San Francisco World Spirits Competition, which they continued to have it. But that was one. Of, that was like my first big one. Um, and I forbade it pretty much. If I remember, yeah. you you were like, "Should I?" And I basically was. I I sought counsel. Yeah. And we've decided no. You were like, not just no, but hell no. Yeah. yeah. You, you said if you if you go, you're going to be in a hotel for two weeks before you come home. Yep. That's what you said. So. Um, and, and so in addition to that, I started getting all of these uh, cancellations. I lost the hotel thing, uh, the Bourbon and Beyond, my annual festival that I'm a part of with Danny Wimmer Presents, canceled, and on and on and on. And then, you know, I mean, I've, I made the public announcement earlier that I separated from the magazine, but that was kind of the beginning of it uh, then. And it just, everything was... Everything was happening, and I didn't have a. Honestly, I lost seventy-five. I lost seventy-five percent of my income, you know, during that first little bit. And the, and the two things I had left: uh, Bourbon Pursuit, which you know I love me some Bourbon Pursuit. Love Bourbon Pursuit. If you're not a subscriber, go go check it out. And uh, you know the Fred Minnick Show, 
and then just just and oddly YouTube which I was kind of like building into to like promote my live events you know YouTube became like this this like safety net and I was like you know I, I was at a point where I was like I'm gonna have to go work for a distillery or I'm gonna go have to go do something for someone else um, and I was like what am I gonna do and you know we kind of had one of those talks and we decided to, I decided to go all in on YouTube and decided to really you know focus on the Fred Minnick show well and I think at that time too you were doing lives every night yeah you? yeah I yeah. every weeknight yeah every weeknight I was doing a live at like 9 p.m. I was like going and then I would try to do another one during the day <laughs> well but I mean I think crazy. especially like in that early time so much of the country was uh, on quarantine or yeah. you know stay-at-home orders and it, it was just like a little bit of oh stability like oh, yeah. Fred will, Fred will be on at nine it was actually really good routine wise at home too because it's like all right we got you know we got the routine going you're always here always there so like knowing what to expect I mean was that I mean I think one of your members had asked early or I mean not early but had asked um you know are you upset about that or you know thanks for yeah. letting Fred come every night and I'm like yeah. man no it's great it, it was great you were able to be a little piece of stability but also it was stable for us too and honestly it saved me uh, those live streams uh, you know put it out there that I was doing this sort of thing and as people started adjusting into a virtual world we started going into we started seeing like um, we started seeing more people want to do virtual conferences and all this while I was creating a skill set that I had I never saw coming I was doing all these uh, live related things with with gear and software and uh, and just, I uh, had no idea. I, I had no idea that what I was doing would be a skill set I could apply later down the road. And um, all the while, you know, musicians were not doing anything. And so I would end up doing stuff with musicians I couldn't get if it was in person. You know, you'll see a lot about that, but like Mick Fleetwood, Daryl Hall, Derek Trox, Ludacris. There ain't no way I'm getting that that list of A-list talent at a festival, you know, over all the other, you know, journalists that are being there. But because I can send you a really nice bottle of booze, <laughs> you know, I, uh... You sent Ludacris a really nice bottle of I booze. I did, and you'll see. Woo. Yeah, Luda, Luda got some nice stuff. I mean, all of them always get nice stuff, but... Well, but that, you know, that's one that, of my... Yeah, Luda. Well, the Mictors. Yeah, yeah. It's hidden now. It's hidden now. <laughs> it's, it's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the purpose of this was to do kind of like a best of, um, you know, the Fred Minnick show. But I also wanted to talk about 2020. And we made it. Uh, but I could not have done it without you. Um, everybody who has subscribed to this channel, everybody who has listened to a podcast, everybody who has read one of my stories or bought a book this year, you all saved me with what was going to be an annihilation of my career beyond my control. And I can't thank you from the bottom of my heart. So I poured myself a little bit of wild turkey, uh, vintage 12-year-old, the gold foil. And Jacqueline, what do you got there? Wait, why didn't you pour that for me? You wanted the barrel. You I would, didn't offer that. I totally would have offered that. I did you, get the barrel, though, and I, I, mean, you, I you, do you, like the barrel. You asked for the barrel 15-year-old. But, so. but I didn't know that. Would, okay. Everything in this office is at your disposal. But you sort of gave me the, like, ooh, would you like this or that or this or that? Mm, that was not in the this or that Did I say list. you couldn't have that over there or that over there or that one there? There's only one bottle in this office. It was a setup. It, it was, was a setup. <laughs> well, I was going to toast the, the community here and say cheers, but since you want to get on me there. Why is that, listen, you know, mm. house drama, that's all. Well, we didn't cheers. Oh, Cheers. Cheers. But the Fred Minnick Show originally started out um, as um, the concept was I was going to pair whiskeys to musicians' palettes. So early on, I pre-recorded I pre-recorded like uh, 
30 interviews or something at uh, the festivals I'm a part of. Uh, Louder Than Life, which is a hard rock um, festival. Bourbon and Beyond, which is Americana, blues, bluegrass. And then Hometown Rising, which is uh, country music. And I, I, um, I, would, I took a portion of my bar to my backstage trailer at these festivals and these musicians would come into my trailer and we would sit down and we would we would talk and I would ask them about their palate. I would ask them a series of questions. Do you like banana or cinnamon more? And that and I would pair to their palate based on that. That was the original concept of the show. And it was going beautifully. It was going beautifully until COVID hit. But I do have um, I do have a lot of uh, cool interviews that I did with people. Uh, Lindsay L, who ended up performing at my Repeal Day Expo, we've we've become good friends. But this interview coming up is our first time that we got to hang out together, and she's so so talented. I'm telling you, uh, Lindsay is a, is an upcoming superstar. You have got to check her out. And here she hey. goes. She's going back in. I'm she's going like, back in. <laughs> she really likes it. <laughs> Banana bread fresh out of the oven. Banana bread <laughs> fresh out of the oven. I mean, who doesn't want to? Who doesn't want to have that? People who don't like bananas. Mm. Yeah, I know they're they're out there. True, they're out there. Does this remind you of a song at all? Does you smell this? Mm. Do you sm- That's think a, of a song? good question. I mean, like "Sweet Home Chicago." I don't know why. It's oh, like, oh <laughs> wow, I like that "Sweet Home Chicago." It feels good. It's warm and inviting. Jelly Roll. Unfortunately, that one was not recorded with video. It was only by by audio. But you can get a sense of who Jelly Roll is just by listening to the audio. Dude, there was a time where, believe it or not, I believe this in my heart, way many, many moons ago, that you couldn't consider yourself a Slipknot fan and an Ice Cube fan. Yeah. It just was not socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. Or you couldn't be a Guns N' Roses fan and an Ice Cube fan. And we're probably, I'd say an hour away from Ice Cube taking the stage. Yeah. One hour before Guns N' Roses take the stage. Yeah. On the same stage. Yeah. That's incredible. Well, one I know you were really excited about was uh, live, Ed Qualcheck, you know, because, you know, that was our youth. Oh, that was, I mean, that was the stuff when, mean, when we were in our prime, live. right? So here is a, a little look at the first, uh, what was the first iteration of the Fred Minnick Show? I grew up in Oklahoma and we had this, we had this, this tragedy, the Oklahoma City bombing. Right. And the DJs there did a remix with a lot of your music, and it was the most touching, impactful sound that yeah. I've ever heard in my life. I remember that. Well, um, it was just one of those crazy things that happened, you know, with the music that you, as a writer, you you, you dream that your music it will impact people as you're sitting there in your bedroom or whatever writing it, you know. Yeah. But you never, you really don't have any idea what's going to happen, you know, and where it's going to go. And, and that was one of those moments where I remember someone sent us the recording, you know, um, of that sort of mashup they did with, like, the news and, like, the headlines and kind of over, it was over lightning crashes. And and I remember just being, like, totally moved and totally blown away that that the song and had was being consumed that way and produced that way and just was in some small way helping people to kind of hold the emotions and the of that tragedy you know and it was just a bitter of course bittersweet moment but sweet as a writer to know that yeah the song did that you know and was able to do that that was a lot of fun and that the the whole concept was that i could take that i could take the show to festivals and i was and i would just like kind of hang out in um i would hang out backstage and interview these musicians with my bar that was really that was like my whole thing is like that's what i would do i would i would record all of these in in bulk but of course you know you don't have and this these interviews are like pre real covid but the next ones you're about to see um and that is uh i realized early on that festival promoters i mean i'm dan i was danny wimmer's guy like so i was danny wimmer presents like guy 
of like, and I could do whatever I want back there. Uh, the other ones I had to like sell a little bit. And then as I was getting into like getting, getting through, um, you know, trying to get more episodes, none of the festivals were hitting at the time that I needed them, needed them to hit. So I had to find things to get to musicians. Uh, around, you know, February, March, I had to do things to go to them with, with my bar. And one of those was I went to a country music radio, um, you know, conference. I, I, I don't know, CMRS or something like that. I actually, I got to have a private concert with uh, Garth Brooks at this thing, so... Ah, yeah, I remember that, you sending me, like, a yeah, text that, about that. That was, like, that was, like, otherworldly. And um, I was actually supposed to meet Garth that night, but it didn't work out. Oh. Yeah, I was kind of bummed, but... He's uh, your guy. He's... He was your guy when you were... I'm always... He's yeah. always going to be my guy. Oklahoma State, go Pokes. Mm -hmm. But, so we had... Um, I had to take my bar to Nashville for this, and I interviewed, uh, I think, six country music artists... And the Grand Ole Opry uh, Booker, uh, which what do you think of when you hear Grand Ole Opry? Backwoods Barbie. Backwoods Barbie. <laughs> so we were at Grand Ole Opry, Opry one time, and they had this uh, pro promotion with uh, Cracker Barrel and Backwoods Barbie. Backwoods Barbie, but it was with Dolly Parton. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah. So it's a it's a fun inside joke. Welcome to our world. We have tons of inside jokes. Sorry. Uh, so I went up there and I interviewed a lot of really talented musicians, Jesse Alexander, um, Trent Harmon, and I got home and the next day I somehow deleted all of the videos but one. I dele deleted all of them. I forgot about that. And I was like, how did I delete these? What did I do? And keep in mind, I'm just kind of new to a lot of this stuff, and I'm trying to figure out the technology, I'm trying to figure out uh, how to edit, do all these things. So I was like, what, how did that just happen? I somehow deleted, uh, you know, five interviews, but I had the Trent Harmon one, and Trent won American Idol, and is a huge bourbon fan, and this video is one I set up, and it's like, you can tell I set it up because you can't see Trent's face <laughs> over all the damn bottles. I, you almost, I wouldn't even want to read it. I wouldn't want to know who I was writing with that day because it would be so raw. Uh, I wanted to, I didn't want to know any of the, the things that I was walking into. Right. I just wanted to write it, write it, see if it sticks, throw it against the wall. If it works, mm -hmm. let's keep that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we got good songs. We got really good songs. And uh, you better write stuff that you like because it's a good problem to have that you sing it for the rest of your life every night. Yeah. You know, you're just saying you saw Garth. I'm sure he sang some of the songs that he's been singing every night since right. Since our parents were going to his show, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we had an incredible time, and that was a great one. Another one that I had I did during this frame of, my, uh, of recording the Fred Minnick show was with Clown from Slipknot. And this is arguably my favorite interview of the year because Clown is, you know, to me, Clown is a, Clown is known for being behind his mask. And when you meet the, uh, the real guy, it's pretty awesome. And we you were had, giddy. I was giddy. You were giddy. I don't, do I get giddy though? No, you do not get giddy. Was I giddy about, I wasn't even giddy about like Ludacris or like Mick you, you were giddy about Clown. I was really giddy about Clown. I was excited about that one in a, in a way that I probably wasn't about others. And, and, but instead of bringing my bar to them, we actually met in a distillery and we drank, we drank his whiskey. And we also blended his whiskey uh, for another show that's coming up down the road. You would come in and I would be very interested whether you would just pick it up and blindly, maybe disrespectfully, I don't really look at it that way, but what, what are you going to do blindly? You know, if that's laying here, are you going to pick it up? Are you going to attempt to put it on? Are mm -hmm. you scared of it? Are you, is it fragile to you? Um, so that's generally how I roll. But you know, out of 25 years, everyone's really respectful. And the only ones that just grab it and put it on are my kids. <laughs> they just they don't care you know and then covid hits and i have to change everything suddenly i'm having to go from figuring out how just to click the record button to figuring out zoom skype google meets cybex 
uh, ended up using some other forms of um, of live streaming technology, recording technology that I'd pay like $400 for and then do two interviews and it like really sucked. And then it just like, there was like at, at this time frame, like April to like uh, July, it was a, it was just trying to figure out, you know, what to do. My graphics were all over the place. Uh, but the one thing that I've always, I've, I've always been very secure in my interview style. And I'll tell you that interviewing like Ashley McBride, uh, I did that standing up. What I learned was with that interview doing it standing up, I'm not as good of an interviewer standing up because I'm going side by side. So again, these are things I'm learning. I'm like going side by side. Whereas if I'm like sitting, I'm like, mm, yes, oh, mm, tell me more. And get this, you're making me emotional. You're not even singing. Um, is because like, you know, I have a genuine fear of like, that's never gonna happen again. We're not gonna have those moments because of of isolation and, the, and, and COVID and everything. I, it just, it scares me to death that the, the bourbon travel industry is dead, you know? I mean, it's on it, pause. it could. It's on pause, yeah. but it's going to be safe for us again. And it's gonna be safe for us because of our friends and loved ones that are on the front lines that are literally risking their health so that we will be able to go out and do this together again. And it will be safe. And we may not play arenas, probably not for the rest of this year, which sucks, but, but maybe on a smaller scale, we can play some shows. Um, hopefully not everything is live streaming because doing a bourbon tasting or experiencing things like Bardstown and Shepherdsville and out there at Maker's Mark, um, there, that's, you can never do that virtually. But it, it's okay to, to be worried about it, but it's not okay to write it off as dead yet because yeah. this has been through worse things. It's weighed in deeper waters and came out dry. Prohibition. And it weighed in deeper waters and came out dry. So we're going to be just fine. We're going to be just fine. Cheers to that. You can't kill well, Bert. Uh... And so like, I'm trying, again, I'm trying to figure out what kind of an interviewer I am during this phase of COVID. And I interviewed Johnny Hawkins. You know what? That's what, uh, uh, remember America's Funniest Home Videos when yeah. you were a kid? They had that little jackrabbit uh, with the, what did they call him? He had a name or something. And you, it was like the camera point of view of the horns and the rabbit. And it was like running around. <laughs> I Jack thought of that forever. The jackalope. The jackalope. Yeah, yeah. the jackalope. Yeah. But I really think that the interview where I hit the ground running and hit my stride was my Mick Fleetwood interview. That was the one that I felt like I can do this. I've got this. You mentioned uh, uh, Peter Green. How is he? I know you all just did like a, uh, a benefit like in remembering him. How is he? He's, he's well. Uh, he's changed from, you know, he went through a whole emotional change, which is a way too long of a conversation to have. But he... Uh, I actually wrote to his, his caretaker today, and sadly, he, he loves to play every day in, uh, in a, at his house, and now he can't. So they're doing it, they're trying, <laughs> trying to do it online, where a dear friend of his who went around three days a week to play, just sitting on the couch playing guitar, he leads a very retreated life, uh, and, but his health is okay, and he's Peter. You watched that one. I did watch that one. And of course, I have a bias for yeah. Fleetwood Mac, Mick Fleetwood. That was the last concert you and I went to before yeah. the pandemic. And and their last concert of that tour, hopefully not yeah. their last concert ever. But I mean, that was such an incredible experience to see them live. Because I had we'd seen Stevie at Bourbon and Beyond, and she was going to be at Bourbon and Beyond again, right? I think this had 2020 happened. Um, oh, I don't know about that. Was she? I don't know. Oh. I don't know. I actually, honestly, I don't remember. But that they would have been a good band for Bourbon and Beyond. They would have. But yeah. that was that was um, that was awesome. And so that one was that one was so cool because he had all the you know he had all of that in front of him and he was such a gentleman about everything. Yeah. Just very I don't know. He he. Ugh, it was a good one. I enjoyed it. And I think the thing about it is, it's like 
you, know, you talk about Peter Green, and Peter Green would later pass away, mm-hmm. and you know, just seeing that friendship and the, the way he cherished uh, Peter, uh, being such an iconic, uh, you know, two individuals, and and you know, uh, Mick and I have stayed in touch. So, so at this stage, like we're going through that next phase where I figured out what I'm doing tech-wise. I figured out how to get people on. Uh, the word is out that you know to the musician community that there's a guy sending really 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 great whiskey to people and you get to talk to him and you have like these great interviews all these musicians were coming away from the interviews telling their managers like that was the best interview I've ever done of course they might be three sheets to the wind but they're there's talking about they're talking about the interviews and there was something that was a as a great thing of pride and so when Lee Bryce's like camp agreed to uh, connect with me which I know you're not a country fan, but Lee Bryce to me is like, he's like the guy. 15 years ago, I started to really realize what, what I had that night, you know? Uh, and uh, so I, I started to, started to uh, enjoy whiskeys a little more and bourbons. Uh, I mean, I went, to, I went to Scotland and I did a lot of mm. scotch over there. A different one for every bar headed all the way, all the way up to the castle, you know I mean? And, the, the peatiness of it and all that stuff. So like the smell and letting it open up a second, you know, it's always uh, like a, a starter for me. This one's calming down a little bit now. Yeah. You know, like he's like the guy in country music right now. And by the way, Ashley McBride up for a Grammy whom you saw earlier. Uh, so I was starting to get, I was really resonating, especially in country music. And then I got Tyler Jade who was on The Voice and just one of the, best interviews I've had all year but she did give me a little business she was talking about like Fred I think you just messed up my voice because this whiskey's really hot on my <gasps> yeah and so but what okay. we taste we just put a little bit on our tongue oh okay and oh I wasn't supposed to shoot no, it no you don't shoot it this oh this- my I, t- I clearly do not know tasting see this is why like, oh, okay. this is this is why you're threatening me with doctor bills here it's because you know <laughs> I thought it was just- you're just like kicking the whole bottle back backstage, like, oh, I didn't know, I, was, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah, she was giving me the business on that, but I think I, I would later learn that she was just giving me business. Good, she should. Uh, had Uncle Cracker on. You know, Uncle Cracker just started smoking on the set. That was that was crazy. Smoke, smoking what? It was a cigarette. Oh. And I and I and I heard through the grapevine that. You used to drink vodka, and there's a whole there's a section in there about why vodka sucks. So, make sure you pay close <laughs> attention to that one. <laughs> I only did vodka for calorie reasons. Uh, Strictly, that was it. There was a minute where I I cared for a little <laughs> while, and then my my uh, my caring about calories comes and goes. Once in a great while, when I get nervous and scared, then I start caring. Then I get comfortable again. Then you go back to the bourbon, you know, and then life and life repeats itself. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. A, it's such a. It's such an Uncle Cracker thing to do. <laughs> it's such an uncommon thing, though. I mean, like even yeah. though we live in like Tobacco Central. Tobacco. I just, I mean, like you just don't see people lighten up, uh, like they like you did when we were. Kids, no, not you know? back in the old like not, back not in like the, the old days. days of the eighties. So. Derek Trucks is his the interview with him was really my first uh, that was my first time that I'd encountered a uh, a whiskey geek inside the music community like most of the musicians had just been wanting to learn and wanting to grasp it uh, Derek Trucks who is you know slide guitarist for the Allman Brothers has his own band and is um, on Rolling Stones top 25 uh, best living guitarists which I think he's number one, by the way, uh, arguably. And you you have um, you have him telling me about the guy that he used to to meet in Lexington with the code name of Viking. Um, he was somebody that really helped you uh, kind of navigate the world and and uh, you know really judge people on their their intentions and actions and, and not get too bogged down in the BS. He he was great about taking talented musicians and kind of just breaking their egos into a thousand pieces and then letting them rebuild <laughs> into better people. Like that was kind of his, 
his thing. You know, he he would see people that really took themselves uh, too seriously, or, or or believe the hype, or you know, when people were blowing smoke, they were. They, you you would watch a lot of people come and go because of that. And Colonel was a great a great mentor, and and uh, making sure you were comparing yourself up, and uh, you know, he. I, I think about things he says every multiple times a day. He's just one of those people that that really stuck with you. And uh, yeah, he, he was. It was a it was a tough loss when Colonel went, but he he's uh, he's one of those living presences in your life. You, you never you never go too far without uh, thinking about what how he would interpret a situation. <laughs> he was a, yeah. He was a. I don't know if you ever got to see him or knew about him, but he was uh, he was quite something. Well, I mean, it, all these years later, you know, the impressions still last. So, obviously, you know, it's and uh, a lot of great musicians came through him. You know, he, uh, <clears throat> Jimmy Herring, who's now he plays Widespread Panic with my brother. Um, he he was in the Aquarium Rescue Unit with the Colonel. He he's he's definitely a Colonel Bruce disciple. O'Teal, um, who played um, with Colonel, and then uh, the Almond Brothers, and then our. Desky Trucks Band, and now he's out with the dead. Um, he's a Colonel disciple. They, a lot of great musicians came through the Colonel and um, definitely uh, are, are better for it. He, he would always say, uh, I'm a minor league baseball coach. <laughs> I'm, just get, I'm just getting you guys ready. Like he never, he never wanted his career to go too far. And I think whenever it would start really taking off, he would uh, kind of self-sabotage on purpose and just break it up and start from scratch. I think he liked being uh, he liked being somewhat anonymous, which is uh, also admirable. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, you could probably touch more lives that way. So he was playing the same, like, uh, you know, back alley, get a bourbon game that I've I played. A little harder for me to do it now, but there was a, once upon a time I was meeting people in parking lots, giving cash you know sacks full of cash you know so it's a poor bourbon it was a really 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 cool interview but for me the one that uh when i finally had figured it out when the one where i felt like i had i had hit my stride so mick fleetwood i'm like i've got this where i knew i hit my stride was the daryl hall interview and and i think a little bit that might be because we listen to so much hall and oats in the house and he's such a big, he's a big whiskey guy. I luckily didn't have to spend any time in the hospital. And I didn't even have to really go on a drift. I, I, I probably should have, but I, but I didn't. But I just took massive doses of antibiotics over a long, long period of time. And finally I got ahead of it. And I still have flare-ups. I mean, I'm sure you must have something, you know, it doesn't just go away. Uh, but I... Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I have my flare-ups, but it's it, it's it's manageable. That's the best way I could say. But I don't want to get, I really don't want to become reinfected. That's for sure. That was awesome. You're like, I'm interviewing Daryl Hall. I'm like, I mean, now, our teenage years, we, we were just a little shy of that being like all the prom and all the homecoming music, but we were we were we were just up there. So that was like all the cool kids. Well, my older brother, of course, like that was the stuff was mm-hmm. Hall and Oates, mm-hmm. you know. So that was that was really cool to get him, and we had seen him again at Bourbon and Beyond, and just yeah. kind of reliving that whole '80s life. The big thing for me was. Um... He had Lyme disease. I had Lyme disease. That's mm-hmm. a big. It was a big part of both of our lives, and you know we just kind of talked about that. And it's like at the end of the day, what I have learned most of all this year: these people who are famous, people who are, um, you know, are constantly in your headphones. I mean, they're humans, and and you know they they feel just like anybody else, and they're also looking for people to relate to, and that. That conversation with Daryl about about Lyme disease will always uh, be special for me because I don't really get to talk about Lyme disease very often, and that was a horrible time in my life. That was actually before you, yep. before we met. Yep. I'm coming out of this phase, and I actually know what I'm doing, and I actually have some booking power. And as I have kind of gotten a lot of really nice musicians, I have a yearning for a category that is very deeply connected to me, and that is sports. Um, I started like hitting up people I know who are connected in the sports community. Got in Dominic and Sue. So you have been, you've been such such a force on on the defensive line, 
And a lot of times with someone who has your like athleticism, mm -hmm. they bring them over on the offensive side to maybe play a little bit of tight end or, you know, a fullback. Yeah. I mean, are we going to see a little bit of that now that you've got uh, Gronk on one side, maybe a double tight end, you know, run it down your throat kind of formation? I would love to, and we've had some discussions with our coaches. Um, and actually, last year we had a package that we actually didn't actually end up using. Um, but it, it, there's definitely some packages that we've had in, in the mix. Uh, just finding the right time. And in this year, obviously, you have Gronk as, as an amazing tight end, uh, future Hall of Famer. Um, and Vita Vea, one of my, my line mates, plays right next to me. Uh, he scored some touchdowns as well. So you could have a three-headed monster, monster if you put me over there as well. So uh, oh, maybe be something uh, that we can consider for this season. I mean, crushes people like you don't even know on the field. Like, I mean, he is a badass on the field. Got Kyle Rudolph, probably one of the top 10 uh, tight ends of the last 20 years. Incredible touch, great blocker, but more than anything, he's a wonderful human being. Fortunately, you get to play in a dome, so. Yes, that is, we were outside for two years when they were building that new dome, and it was two years too many. Yeah. <laughs> it gets so cold there. So cold. But the one that really kind of I know connected with all of us um, is uh, was uh, Mike Golick and Mike Golick Jr. Now this interview happens about a week after it's announced that he's no longer going to be uh, a morning host. Now he's still with ESPN, he's calling games, but this was right after the uh, ESPN had announced uh, Mike Golick will take a different role, or at least would not be in the mornings. And, and you know, I have to be honest with you, I didn't care about that. I cared about Mike Golick, the father, in watching his son, Mike Golick Jr. over the years. And that was the kind of purpose of my interview. When you got out of Notre Dame and you were, you were, making, a, you were making a run for the, for, for the NFL and you kept getting, um, you kept getting cut and cut and we'd, we'd hear about that. What was, what was the moment that you knew that it was time, you know, to hang up the cleats? Yeah, I think for me that the wheels started turning on that sometime in the spring of 2015 where I understood it was the third year I had had in that window and I always kind of went in with the understanding that I would have probably a good three-year opportunity to try and latch on somewhere before the sands of time and subsequent draft classes start adding up. And I got the fortunate opportunity to go back. I had been with the New Orleans Saints the offseason prior up until June when I was cut there. And it made the round robin tour through the CFL and the FXFL and other bits of God knows what mixed in along the way. <laughs> but I got the chance to go back with the New Orleans Saints uh, that next spring of 15. And I knew going into that camp, that was going to be my last best chance. I had been moving around, basically living on couches for three years. And I said, you know what? I'm going to give it my absolute best shot here. Try and put some great stuff on tape, really put my best foot forward again. And if it doesn't work out, the way I always thought about it was, I need a job that's going to start liking me too, because at that point, professional football did not seem to have much of an affinity for me. And so, you know, I was fortunate my last preseason game and ended up being my last football game was preseason four. We played the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field. So got to see that historic venue, went out there, felt like I played some good ball and ultimately it didn't work out. And at that point I was like, you know what, there's really not much more at this point in time that I feel like I can do. I've had the opportunities, they haven't worked out. And so at that point, I had already been doing some things on the side, kind of with a foot in the broadcasting world. But at that point, I decided it was probably the time to go full go with it. Well, and that was the thing. We, I mean, we watched a lot of Mike and Mike. I mean, yeah. I think, I mean, I'm a, I'm a football fraud. I'll admit it. I'm a sports fraud in general. So I got a lot of my information from got that recorded. Yeah, you do. Uh, from the two of them because sports is all drama. I mean, it's every bit as much as Hollywood drama and everything mm -hmm. else. Um, but that was the thing. Whenever he would talk about his son, he just you could see the pride just mm -hmm. like coming right out of him, even if he was in the middle of an argument with somebody else. And to have the two of them drinking together, I think about, you know, the future, you know, you and Oscar and you and Julian kind of drinking together and like just that, I don't know, that, that father-son thing was just 
is really really touching to see that yeah father and sons that's where it's at um you know a lot of the programming pro programming i've done over the years has has had to do with family and trying to show the family of bourbon uh i mean it's just something that is really important to me so i've got my stride i know what i'm doing uh at this point technology wise but the one thing that never changed every episode was about the whiskey even in the episodes where we talked about a lot of deep stuff like with sean james uh you know sean talked about the the craziness of how music works he's like he was like man i don't know how i can strum a guitar and it goes through an amplifier amplifier and out of out of speakers i don't get that it was kind of like we were a couple guys like smoking weed on a on a porch <laughs> like talking about stuff so i'm getting a lot of apricot a lot of plum a lot of like jelly like kind of a you know like a strawberry jam huh so your developed palate is so much more <laughs> defined than mine man. well you i mean that this is something that i i've worked on i mean i can't play a guitar i can't sing <laughs> I mean, yeah well I'm, I'm i'm fat and out of shape my 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 only gift apparently in life is drinking whiskey so you know i'd say my, that's a pretty damn good gift brother it's, it's, an, it's a pretty good it's an all right gift uh ludicrous drinking straight from the bottle talking about the whiskey asking about the whiskey asking really great questions about the whiskey they don't add anything when they say here um you know, finished in a uh, single maple syrup barrel. That means the distillers, they bought barrels uh, that had been aging maple syrup and cleaned them out and then put whiskey in it. And so there might be a little bit of contact from original maple syrup, but it would be very, very, very little. It's not like they went and dumped maple syrup in there. Got so, it. So it's a, it, it's, a, it's a whiskey technique that they basically call finishing. And it's a little bit, you know, it, it's not very defined. It's not very regulated. And, you know, it's a little bit of the Wild West. And so things like this are are very interesting, but they're all the, the regulations on them are very loose. So, but Catoctin Creek is not someone who's going to be, while they're finishing it, going over and dumping uh, a bottle of uh, uh, maple syrup in there. Some people would. The whiskey, the whiskey business is full of uh, shenanigans. A lot of I, can, shenanigans. I mean, I love, I like it because I can taste the maple, <laughs> the maple syrup of it being in that cast, man. That, I love that. So, thank you for this experience, bro. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, you know, I, I was wanting to ask you, since I've been to so many different places, and I was talking mm -hmm. about how in different regions of the world they can age things longer, and because of the climate, right. it may be a little smoother. And sometimes, you know, here. I heard about in Kentucky and obviously in um, Tennessee, since we have seasons that are hotter here as opposed to in the highlands where it's a little cooler pretty much year round. Yep. The difference between how things can age technically or they age faster and why a lot of people prefer whiskeys that really are strong and, and have that little burn to them as opposed to people who prefer the smoother ones. So I just wanted to get your take on that because this is a learning experience for me. As so, well. yeah. So there's a couple things, right? And of course, Gwar, uh, when Jismac Degusha came from Antarctica to spend some time with me, you know, he was actually showing off his palate. You're double dipping now. Yeah. A, a is A is no joke, my friend. A is no joke. Yeah, that one just, I kept, I like went to it three times. Like it wasn't just taste it and it's really tough though. So these are all whiskeys, but this one doesn't necessarily feel like a bourbon whiskey. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think the one the one interview for me was with Killer Mike where I got to like really, we got to really talk about the whiskey, but what one particular whiskey in, what one particular whiskey means to both of us, and that was Uncle Nearest. And Killer Mike was a, an incredible interview, a great human being, and I know that was one that really hit home for you. Absolutely. When I look at Uncle Nearest, I see 
I see a movement and an effort, you know, to bring back forgotten persons, you know, and nearest, Absolutely. And nearest green in, in American whiskey history. It was probably the most forgotten person that did not get told in the stories. And this brand has come out and it's on like, you know, it's like lightning. And yeah. And the thing of it is, is that they've done a really good job telling their story and bringing back the history of nearest green. But like you said, the whiskey's good. The whiskey's, the whiskey's good. good. It is a good whiskey. It is a good whiskey. It is a good whiskey. I'm, I'm definitely going to talk friskier to my wife today on the phone. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think that it's important, important for us to, to know that, um, you know, regardless of race, class, religious affiliation, in this country, we are truly a tapestry of a lot of different things to make what is great about this country great. And mm -hmm. the the presence of nearest in in in, in proper presence, noted and 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 um, indoctrinated into the history as it should be, not only brings another great whiskey to market, but it brings further possibility of inclusion on all levels from all of us. It takes, if all of us do a little, none of us have to do a lot in this country. And I feel that if more people in this country were less concerned with protecting their own, whatever it is, and more with connecting with one another, I think that much like sipping a good whiskey together and talking some shit that, you know, greater understanding and empathy and comes out of those things a lot of times than, you know, simple commands to be better. What'd you think of that one? Uh, you know, I think, you know, particularly just the time that you interviewed him. I mean, we've been, you know, going through so much civil unrest in the country, long overdue, and having somebody who has been an advocate and a voice for the community, who also can sit down and have, you know, have a lot of conversations about that and shows how you can have conversations about it. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to come down to defensiveness and fighting or any of that. Like you can have real conversations. Yeah. Um, they might be uncomfortable, but that's how you grow and you change. Um, and you can do it with some whiskey. You so. do it with some whiskey. And Killer Mike also did advocate for strip clubs in that episode. So, you know, we've never been to a strip club together. Yeah. It's not our thing. It's not. It's oddly not your thing. No, even, I'm not. Even a, in yeah. the like in the neighborhood, yeah, we we're gonna go to the strip club. You'd be like, yeah, no. Nah, I don't. I don't. I mean, listen, if you want to go to strip clubs? That's great. I won't judge you. All good. But it's not my. It's not my place. And I will say, you know, as we kind of wrap that wrap up, like the best of, um, you know, I recently interviewed Yellow Wolf, Southern rapper. Uh, he's got a rock album coming out. Just incredible, incredible musician. Uh, big fan of his. That was my first in-person interview since COVID. And, and it was because of Yellow Wolf. We, you know, a lot of times with these, with these, um, with these artists, you have meetings beforehand before you have the actual interview. And in this case, he was like, he's like, man, I, I wanna, I wanna do this in person. He's like, we'll get COVID tested, we'll do whatever. But he's like, he's like, I haven't done an interview, I haven't done an interview, and I think he said like uh, ten years. So like. Yeah, he hadn't done like a film interview, an interview like this in like 10 years, he said. And he said, I don't want to, I don't want to do this virtually. He's like, I want to do it in person. He's like, we'll meet you there. We'll fly wherever. And I said, okay. And so, uh, and then he said, I'd be, it would be really cool if Sasquatch poured the whiskey. And I think, you know, I think that, I think he might have been like, you know, just kind of thrown that in last minute, just kind of, you know, mess with me. But I was like, I'm going to get Sasquatch. That's a great idea. So, <laughs> hey, and we got to support a local business yeah. buying a Sasquatch costume. Yeah. So I actually went to a local uh, Halloween shop here um, and bought a Sasquatch costume. And I was able to also do this interview at MB Roland, which is a small distillery. So I was able to give them a lot of attention. So this was a very like really good karma interview. But the thing about Yellow Wolf is that what I learned from that guy is that no matter how hard 
he works, he's going to work harder. He's done three albums in the middle of COVID. He's done uh, one like docu-series. He's in the middle of doing a film like right now. Well, he's also got like a clothing line. And he's got like all this merch stuff he's doing. I mean, this guy is, you know, I, I hate it when people judge people for how they look because he has a lot of tattoos. If, if you want to talk about work ethic, that man has a work ethic. And he talks about that here in this little clip. So that's a huge compliment. Joey is a super, super hardworking dude, you know, and a good friend. He's been down since day one, you know. Uh, struggled Jennings, Jelly Roll, Alex King, early on, Outzilla, Old Antioch, Tennessee. I think that there's a there's a certain uh, breed from that era that we looked up to hustlers that were before us. My mom is the most inspiring person to me uh, as far as my work ethic goes and my grandfather, rest in peace. I just think that working is the, um, it's, it's the best way to show gratitude for being alive, you know? I think that laziness is, is the ultimate sin if there is such a thing. So that was it for 2020. If you would have told me that I would have gotten Ludacris, that I would have gotten Mick Fleetwood, Daryl Hall, Yellow Wolf, Derek Trucks, and Dominican Sue, I'd have been like, sign me up, I'm in. But I think one of the things that I'm most excited about what I did in 2020 on the Fred Minnick Show was I was able to bring people a lot of names that they may not have known. Names like Alex Hall, Sycamore, um, Amash. Amash. You know, Amash, who's, you're a big fan of Amash. And like, these are all names that right now they're in their early 20s. In 10, 15 years, they're going to be stars. And so, my hope and my dream with this, with this show is to continue drinking whiskey with people of notoriety. Uh, I'll almost always be musicians, but I'm always gonna go into like actors and uh, I'll always be interested in sports. But, um, you know, my goal is to like, just bring interesting people to the table, have a drink, have a good conversation. And honestly, hopefully we can all learn something from the guests we have on the show. And as I, I'm, I'm on my second glass, are you still? Oh, I'm still on my first. Still, I'm good. Actually, I've, I've, I got, think, I've got a cheers left. You got a cheers left. Mm -hmm. But as we kind of close out this like uh, best of 2020, uh, honestly, the best is you because you were here all along in supporting myself and other YouTubers and podcasters who definitely needed it. So cheers, everybody. Be safe out there. And remember, vodka sucks. Unless it's used for hand sanitizer. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, here we go.